Welcome to Skinny Trees, Lift Health for All, the Well Mama edition. Join us for this limited series where we have conversations with a variety of experts and community leaders in the field of maternal and child health to discuss how to advance maternal health equity in Illinois. Hello, my name is Rabia Dadu, and today joining us on the podcast is Kelly Davis. Kelly Davis is the Chief of Birth Equity Innovation at the National Birth Equity Collaborative, or NBEC, which creates solutions to optimize Black maternal and infant health. Prior to NBEC, Ms. Davis led innovative initiatives for the NYC Health Department. During her tenure at NYC Health Department, Ms. Davis led healthy eating and active living initiatives and served as one of the founding members of the Center for Health Equity, where she conceptualized the family wellness suites, community respite, and healing spaces for parents and children. Ms. Davis also spearheaded planning, implementation, and oversight of several special initiatives, including the city's first HIV public awareness campaign, totally focused on women, and a maternal morbidity and mortality initiative supporting 14 maternity hospitals in a long-term institutional transformation process that addresses structural racism, bias, resilience, and trauma-informed care. Ms. Davis holds a Bachelor of Arts degree from Princeton University, where her senior thesis explored how women of color experienced contraception in the 20th century, and a Master of Public Administration degree from New York University's Wagner Graduate School of Public Service. She is the proud co-founder and chief equity officer of Kinshift, a consultant firm that supports healthcare and public health transformation through evidence-based practices rooted in principles of trauma and resilience-informed care and anti-racism. Ms. Davis, welcome to the Skinny Trees podcast. So happy to be here. Happy to have you. Um, so my first question is, uh, even when accounting for social determinants of health, Black women are dying at two to three times the rate of their white counterparts in pregnancy-related deaths. Could you help our listeners understand how we got here from a historical perspective? Sure. Um, I always like to start answers to that question by stating emphatically, there's nothing wrong with Black women. There's nothing wrong with Black people capable of pregnancy um, and how they take care of themselves and their mothering. What's wrong is society. And so when we look at why Black women are two to three times more likely to die as a result of a pregnancy-related complication, Um, called severe maternal morbidity and maternal mortality. The answers are are the root causes, um, which are structural racism and gender oppression. Uh, These forces have been going on for at least over 400 years that Black folks have been in the Western Hemisphere as a result of the uh, chattel slavery and the transatlantic slave trade. Um, And what we mean by structural racism is that opportunities have been embedded into society that benefit certain people based on the color of their skin or their perceived uh, racial background. Similarly, those opportunities have been denied to others. Most people of color um, in in the United States of America, we have a society that's kind of tiered based on racial hierarchy that often places Black people and their communities and neighborhoods at the bottom, which means that Black women continue to earn less than white men and white women um, so that we don't have equal pay for equal work. 
We often do not have adequate housing, as we've seen as Hurricane Ida has ravaged um, communities of color across the United States in both the southern states and the northeastern states, right? We have more exposure to community violence and less access to healthy food and quality health care. So all of those things kind of converge to create this disparity. Um, and those things are happening over the course of Black people's lives, over the course of Black women's life, um, those stressors erode our sense of safety, have a, actually a biological impact on our health and well-being. And then um, on top of those stressors, we put the stressor of pregnancy. And that's why we wind up with dying two to three times as likely. So as my uh, president and founder for the National Birth Equity Collaborative always says, race is not the problem. There's nothing wrong with Black people. Racism is. Thank you so much for for providing that perspective and and let telling our listeners how <clears throat> you know presenting that information. Um, can you tell us more about the National Birth Equity Collaborative and uh, what roles do these organizations aim to play in healthcare? Sure. So the National Birth Equity Collaborative has really one simple vision, um, which is that all Black mamas, their babies, and their villages um, thrive. You know, we always say it takes a village to keep a child healthy, right? It takes a village to raise a child. And so what we mean is by taking care of black people all over the world, right? Um, addressing the root causes of our poor health, including structural racism, gender oppression, um, colonialism, which still impacts how resources are granted, how philanthropy is dictated across the world. Um, by addressing those root causes, we honestly believe, uh, and research has proven, um, that we can have the kind of reproductive and sexual lives that we all dream about. So the National Birth Equity Collaborative does that through a variety of ways, right? We publish cutting edge research, filling the gaps um, in maternal and infant and sexual and reproductive health care. Um, we provide trainings and technical assistance to folks all over the globe, um, including public health departments, philanthropy, um, NGOs, We're helping them understand the root causes of maternal and infant disparities and creating actionable plans for them to implement, to address them within their institutions. Um, we've been a great proponent of the Momnibus, which um, is comprehensive 12-point legislation designed to address the Black maternal health crisis across the nation. So we do that as a part of our policy and advocacy agenda. Um, so we have multiple routes that, and that we work with um, communities through community um, center collaboration and partnerships. Really, that's why we're called a collaborative, right? Because we cannot do this work alone. Um, we know that Black women and queer people have the answers to these issues. We've always had the answers. Um, and the National Birth Equity Collaborative helps elevate those answers, that cultural wisdom, to stakeholders in the policy, research, um, and philanthropy sectors. Thank you so much. Uh, you mentioned the Momnibus. Um, is that similar to the Mamas Act? 
So the omnibus, which has been, um, is before Congress, it has 12 points of legislation and it's been supported by the Black Maternal Health Caucus, which includes members like uh, Senator Cory Booker, um, Congresswoman Lauren Underwood, um, former former Senator and now Vice Presidential Candidate, I mean, Vice President, whoo, Kamala Harris, um, who have all, all of these legislators in collaboration with activists, community members, clinicians have created 12, uh, a whole suite of proposed bills that if enacted could really change what it looks like to give birth for uh, black people um, in America. And so some of them include really supporting um, a maternal mortality review committees, because oftentimes states and jurisdictions don't even know the causes of, of death because they haven't done the work to actually review and go through each and every case. So improve data, uh, improve support for veterans, um, uh, expanding Medicaid postpartum. Right now, we have a nation that only gives uh, coverage like six weeks postpartum, particularly for folks that are undocumented who have Medicaid as a function of being pregnant. And we're saying we need that coverage for a full year because maternal mortality can happen up to a year after giving birth. And so cutting off um, coverage at six months for the folks that are most vulnerable to poor health it is epidemiologically unsound and morally unconscionable. So um, it's it's really comprehensive legislation that the National Birth Equity Collaborative has been really um, blessed along with the Black Mamas Matter Alliance to really support um, the Black Maternal Health Caucus and really thinking through the strategies that we need, including more culturally competent and um, racially concordant uh, workforce to prove to support um, better health outcomes for uh, Black women and birthing people. Got it. Thank you. Um, so how does structural racism impact the maternal health disparity we see in Black pregnant individuals? Okay, so that's actually a multifactorial question because there's no aspect of an American society that is not impacted by structural racism, right? Mm-hmm. So you can literally pick any sector of society, whether it's employment, housing, food systems, and we could have our own podcast just devoted to how structural racism shows up in that part of society. Um, Arlene Geronimus over 20 years ago proved that the daily indignities, right, of being passed over, microaggressions, macroaggressions, discrimination and bias, whether the body caused stress on the body, um, which then can trigger premature birth or severe maternal morbidity and maternal mortality. Mm-hmm. I like to say that from the time a person is born, right, they face racism until they die, right? And so we see that when it comes to infant mortality. Um, we also see that in the healthcare system, which a lot of the work of the reproductive justice movement has really centered on understanding and promoting respectful maternity care, because what we've learned from listening to mother's voices, there's a mother's voices um, study, you know, in the Bay Area and in California, they're doing similar research, listening to Black birthing people, listening to Black mamas talk about the indignities they suffer in healthcare. We know research has proven that pain is minimized 
for Black women. And so oftentimes, Black women who are, you know, facing headaches, uh, challenges, are told by trained healthcare providers um, that to not worry about it. And actually, it's a life-threatening complication. We saw that in the story of Serena Williams, Mm -hmm. right? And no one is more fit than Serena Williams. She's a multimillionaire. She's married to a white man who is also a multimillionaire. And yet, when she complained about an inability to breathe or pain in her legs, um, she was told uh, she was minimized. Her concerns were reduced and she had a life-threatening complication and embolism, which is in the top three causes of death mm-hmm. um, for severe maternal morbidity and mortality here in New York City and the top five causes of death um, across the nation. Thank you. Um... Uh, and what historical actions have led to the mistrust of medicine from Black pregnant individuals, in your opinion? Well, um, I like to shift the focus. It's not about Black people needing to trust medicine more. It's about medicine needing to be more trustworthy. Okay. Yeah. And uh, there's, and uh, part of that is accounting for its past, mm-hmm. right? Um We all have learned about medical experimentation on black and brown bodies here in this country. Um, The father of obstetrics and gynecology, J. Marion Sims, perfected his experiments on enslaved African women, even without anesthesia, even though it was available at the time. So from the very beginning of obstetrics and gynecology, it is really dealt with um, as kind of racist and sexist past, right? And we see that today. So um, there are things that medicine can do to become more trustworthy. Um, We need obviously reform. You can go inside of any hospital today. We have hospital segregation and separate is not equal because you can go in any hospital in this nation and know from the lobby if it serves a preponderance of black patients or not. Right. Public hospitals are overstretched. The things that Medicaid reimburses for and the level of which they reimburse do not incentivize uh, high quality care for folks living with with poverty. And we know that black folks are more than likely to live in poverty in comparison to white folks because of structural racism, because of race, racial discrimination, because of redlining, because of the history of the Jim Crow South, which has not been over for more than 60 years. We're still living um, in very segregated societies. I mean, you're you're in Chicago, which is like the most segregated city in the whole whole entire United States. Right. So these are the kinds of issues um, that dictate our healthcare system. And so we have to abolish all of that in order for medicine to become more trustworthy. It starts with validating our patients, valuing our patients, listening to what they have to say, providing them with the resources that we know impact health. Only a small fraction of your health is determined by what happens inside of a clinical examination room. You know, we have to address housing. We have to address exposure to violence. We have to address trauma in order to actually support Black folks in having better birth outcomes. And until medicine does that, it will continue to be viewed, rightfully so, Mm -hmm. with skepticism. 
Right. Um, and it's earning, it's earning that trustworthiness, right? It's earning right. it and be able to, right. Um, which as you, as you explained so well, all these downstream effects that happen, not just in the office of the hospital, but they're happening in their neighborhoods, in their homes, um, and, and, and supporting them. Uh, are there any other, um, impacts that would occur from, from sort of this, this lack of, uh, trustworthiness that, that the, medi- the medical field is having with, the, you know, as far as the pre and postnatal care of, of um, black pregnant individuals? Well, um, because structural racism impact and gender oppression impacts every aspect of society, um, that also impacts how people access clinical care, right? So we can talk about telemedicine. There was a push to telemedicine because of the COVID-19 pandemic. We've published research at the National Birth Equity Collaborative, along with partners from the University of California, San Francisco, um, proving uh, that folks that provided clinical care to um, Black, Latinx, and other marginalized kinds of patients were less likely to um, recommend telemedicine or be able to effectively implement telemedicine. Um, For example, we also know that telemedicine requires broadband internet access, access to computers, um, which depending upon your income status and where you are, like is is inaccessible for many people. Um, I come from the state, my family, did the great migration the year that Dr. King was murdered to Chicago. My grandparents were born in the state of Mississippi. My father was born in the state of Mississippi. Um, And like many families, they immigrated up north for a a better life. But in in places all across the United States, getting to clinical care requires traveling one to two hours, right? When transportation is unreliable and you don't have it, that affects your ability to access care. Right. We have had inclement weather due to climate change and natural disasters all across the nation, whether it's the fires in California, whether it's the um, hurricanes in the in the southern states, whether it is the flooding that the unprecedented flooding that New York City, where I reside, has been experiencing. All of these things then impact um, Black women and birthing people's ability to access pre and po- prenatal and postpartum care. Um, Black women have less financial resources than almost everyone else in society. And so, re- you know, fleeing floods, uh, fleeing droughts, ex- accessing um, safe environmental precautions is harder for them. And then how can you, I mean, babies do not care. They are coming whether or not there is a flood. So how do you, how does one um, navigate those things when they can't call an Uber or car service to get to their clinical care? So when we talk about structural racism and how it shows up in, in health outcomes, it's about all of those things related to wealth and health mm-hmm. place um, and how folks are even able to access clinical care that sometimes is not even too hospitable to their own healing. Right. So Ms. Davis, where do we need to improve in terms of policy for support and protecting um, mothers in general, but also specifically uh, Black mothers? Um, Is it in the better maternal leave policies for working mothers or or things like that? I mean, it's everything, right? Black women um, and queer people need equal pay for equal work. We need protection from violence. Um, we need 
the ability to earn a living wage, right? We need less segregated health care. We need uh, protection from inclement weather and the impacts of climate change. Right now, we need moratoriums on evictions, which impact Black women with children more than any other group, right? And yet we know that large-scale evictions are going to be happening en masse or are happening en masse across the country after many Black women and Black families lost their income, a proportion of their income due to the COVID-19 pandemic because we're more likely to be essential workers or work in, um, you know, do manual labor. Uh, and things that require travel and being on site at a job. So all of those things need to shift in order for Black birthing people to have the support that they dream about. A lot of that is addressed in the Momnibus, but we need wide-scale economic policy change um, that will generate wealth, stop devaluing Black homes, Black businesses, and Black communities, uh, and then trans transforming every aspect of society, whether it's policing, housing, education, to actually deal with uh, their racist and sexist patriarchal past uh, and create anti-racist policy and practice change. Thank you. Um, so uh, is there a need and what is the importance in having more Black medical providers and treating patients that look like them? Um, it's a little bit of a no-brainer, right? Um, if you speak Haitian Creole, your care is going to be impacted if you are trying to communicate with other people who don't speak Haitian Creole. I think very similarly, we've talked a little bit about how clinical care and Nurses and physicians have been taught that Black people do not experience pain at the same levels as white people. These are in textbooks. I saw a textbook from 2017, a wow. nursing textbook that had that verbatim inside of the text. And so when we know that that's the case, having racial concordance among providers sometimes allows for folks to actually have their pain heard and valued, right? Rachel Hardiman from um, Minnesota, Dr. Hardiman has proven that racial concordance between patients and providers has one, is one of the factors that leads to less infant death, right? For black infants, which are also three times more likely to die. Infants born to black women are three times more likely to die than infants born to white women. Right. And part of it we've proven now is the lack of empathy, um, the lack of resourcefulness and the valuing of black lives, which when you have a black provider um, improves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, there's a, two, a couple terms you mentioned. I, I just wanted to see if you could help our listeners in, in understanding the two terms, um, racial concordance and cultural competence. Would, would you mind just giving a little brief definition of, of what those are? Sure. Racial concordance basically means when you and I are coming from the same racial and ethnic group, right? So I am a Black woman from the South. Um, when I have Black women from the South taking care of me who understand, who have a mental picture of the social uh, structures that are part of my life, who understand uh, a little bit about what's av available to me in my community, uh, what my supermarkets look like, 
what my family structure might look like, what my religious life look like, when they have an understanding of that, because of racial concordance, they can provide strategies that are easier for me to implement because they have a frame of reference for valuing my life and life experiences because some experiences we share may be the same. Got it. Um, and, and, then, and then part of that is cultural competence too, is under, understanding? Yes, cultural competence okay. is, um, is important until we get to the racial concordance. Right okay. now, there are less Black male providers today than there were 30 years ago, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And we know that we've lost many Black male providers because of COVID-19, mm-hmm. right? Which was ripping through Black communities um, because of structural racism impact on health and chronic conditions, right? Mm-hmm. Coupled with um, challenges in structural racism inside of the healthcare system. So um, we know that this problem is not gonna change overnight. We have to change medical education, right? Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, we need providers to have more empathy for cultures outside of their own, have an understanding and commitment to being competent Mm -hmm. to the cultures for patients and their patient population. Right. And those are some of the core tenets of cultural competency. Right. Um, Cultural competency is not a substitute for anti-racism. It is step one on an anti-racist journey. So we talk a lot about uh, about bias, discrimination and anti-racism. It's a journey. No one is not a destination. Mm -hmm. All of these things are uh, marathons and not sprints. But unless we are dedicated and urgent about addressing the problem, what's been happening in the United States since over 400 years ago is going to continue to happen today. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for um, helping us to understand that and define those, <clears throat> those terms and seeing it through this lens. I, so I want my last question for you is uh, we've talked a lot about different um, in the history. We've talked about the, the impact that's happened across in the healthcare, um, in, in terms of, of treating, um, black pregnant individuals, uh, how, if, if you are a medical provider, if you are a healthcare worker, a researcher, um, also, uh, you know, a mother listening to this podcast, how can we better support, um, black pregnant individuals? What can we do? Well, if you're a black mama listening, if you're a black pregnant person listening, I just want to tell you that you are doing a great job. Um, there is no other period during a person's life where they're more incentivized to make healthy habits and changes than during pregnancy. So the idea that Black folks, even if they have challenges, are not doing their absolute best to provide for future generations is a myth rooted in racism, right? We all have people in our life who've managed to stop smoking, stop drinking, eating healthier when they find out that they are pregnant. And so I know if you're listening today, I just want you to take, if you have the ability to take your right hand, stretch it out and give yourself a pat on the back because you are doing what needs to be done. Don't be afraid to speak your mind and to find a provider who listens to you. If you have a provider who doesn't listen to you, find another one and don't stop until you get exactly what you need. Know that human rights are afforded to every individual on the planet. 
and you have a right to care that is affirming, competent, um, and in alignment with your values, right? So I, that's my message I would say to all Black mamas and parents, um, but they're already doing what needs to be done. When I'm talking to researchers, if you're not really thinking about the way structural racism impacts your research, even as you're doing your research, I think you need to take a pause, right? We can see through research, even what's greenlit, what's approved in peer-reviewed journals is a structure of, is a part of the structure uh, of racism in this country. Um, Peer-reviewed journals are not the place, the only place where liberation gets done. And so placing uh, research, research is great, but research without action is like faith without works, it's dead. Mm-hmm. Right. So we need those two things coupled together. And so um, my, my hope for researchers is that they continue to stay proximate to the issues of thinking how racism, xenophobia, right? Islamophobia, all these things factor into the health uh, disparities that we're seeing for Black birthing people across the nation today. Um, healthcare providers, right now there are so many resources. I mean, in comparison to five and 10, 15 years ago, 15 years ago, there were folks devoted to studying health equity, but today we have an unprecedented amount of toolkits, coalitions, the American Medical Association has come out with things, the American um, Academy of Medical Colleges has come out with strategic plans for addressing racism. Every time you open a peer-reviewed journal or a workbook, the Black Mamas Matter Alliance has toolkits for holistic health care. Um, it has research guidelines for doing research search for, alongside, and with Black mamas. Um, so right now, there's honestly no excuse. And I'm not saying that the tools are, you know, the end-all, be-all, but anti-racism is a practice. So what can you do today? What is a meaningful action that you can do today? If you have lots of Spanish-speaking personnel, what are you doing to learn Spanish, right? What are you doing to um take down the hierarchy between doctors and nurses, which is also racialized and uh, has gender implications to actually understand and value the expertise of multiple people on the care team. Uh, all of those things uh, play a role. Uh, we Each person can do something today, right? To create a better world for black mamas, their babies and their villages. Thank you so much, Mike. My guest today has been Ms. Kelly Davis. She is the Chief of Birth Equity Innovation at the National Birth Equity Collaborative. Uh, you can find more information at birthequity.org. Again, thank you so much for your time with us today. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners, That uh, any other resources or information? Well, you can uh, look up the Black Mamas Matter Alliance. Um, which is a collection, alliance of tens of tens of organizations devoted to reproductive justice. Um, that really is the heart and soul for a lot of the work that Black women are leading to create a brand new world for um, Black mamas and babies across the U.S. Thank you so much, Ms. Davis. Uh, thank you for your time and um, hope you have a good rest of the day. It's a pleasure being here.
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and authors and do not necessarily reflect or represent the views and opinions of the following entities. National Institutes of Health, the National Cancer Institute, Northwestern University, Northwestern Medicine, Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, the Robert H. Lurie Comprehensive Cancer Center, the Institute for Public Health and Medicine, University of Illinois at Chicago, and Northeastern Illinois University. Skinny Trees is proudly produced and edited in the Center for Health Equity Transformation, led by Dr. Melissa Simon at Northwestern University. Dr. Simon is a member of the United States Preventive Services Task Force, USPSTF. This podcast does not necessarily represent the views and policies of the USPSTF. Due to the social nature of this podcast, the content used might be copyrighted by another entity or person. This podcast claims no copyright to set content.